0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the final episode, the denouement of season one of the Golf Exposed podcast. My name is Jordan Michael Coulson, and welcome to our special master's edition episode of the Golf Exposed podcast. Today by listening, you can be registered to win an Amen Corner framed print. Chances are you're not going to be able to make it to Augusta this year, so we're going to bring a little slice home to you. Brown Golf Management and Golfback are giving away two of the Amen Corner frame prints, which is comprised of the 11th, 12th, and 13th holes at Augusta National Golf Club in a beautiful framed print. Read the details below on how to enter to win and enjoy the Golf Exposed Podcast Master's Edition. Welcome to the Golf Exposed Podcast. It is non-stop trash.
1: There's supposed to be pros here.
0: I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf. Golf Exposed. Podcast. but it wasn't talked about like it is now. We got our kick. Where we give you the good, the bad, and the truth about golf business, betting, and stories. Welcome back to the Golf Exposed Podcast. My name is Jordan Michael Coulson. Of course, to my immediate left, John Brown, CEO and President of Golfback Technologies, as well as Brown Golf Management. And today, we're going to bring in an esteemed guest, His name is Ward Clayton, and he is a respected communications professional with a vast array of experiences and expertise, including but not limited to graduating from the hallowed University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, media and public relations, corporate communications, leadership management, and a whole lot more. Mr. Clayton boasts a critically acclaimed track record in journalism and digital communications development, culminating in a publication, Looper's The Caddy's Long Walk. Mr. Ward Clayton, we thank you for your time today. Thank you for being on the show. And we have a lot to get to. So first and foremost, how are things in sunny Florida?
2: Good, man. I, you forgot to mention, I live about a driver and maybe a seven iron away from the 17th green in one of the brown golf golf courses here, Julington Creek Golf Course. So uh, that's, that's where my connection began for you guys. That's awesome.
0: Well, thank you for being on the show. And John's a Duke fan. So, I mean, we can immediately oh, ignore God. everything he says. If
1: like. Oh, man. <laughs> Not this year. No,
2: I'm not a, I'm not a North Carolina fan this year either. So there you
0: go. Fair <laughs> enough. It's a, it's rebuilding for the whole ACC. Exactly. So um, look, you have a wide array of experiences here. You have an int- intimate relationship and knowledge of the masters and Augusta. We're going to touch on that. Everything you had, ac- you've accomplished, I guess the first thing that I'd like to ask you and doing a little bit of research on you is how have you been able to navigate the landscape? I, I come from a marketing background. I I'm outside of the golf industry, kind of weaseling my way in there and uh, living vicariously through John. So, How has your business changed and how has your approach to marketing and promoting the business changed through multimedia? It it all
2: goes back to the heart of everything is I've always been a storyteller. Um, Jordan, when when I was growing up, I would race to the kitchen in the morning before going to school to try to get the newspaper sports section first instead of my father. And the reason I was interested in that, I wasn't interested in if somebody scored 24 points or so and so like that. I wanted to find out who the guy was and what made him tick, what was behind him. And that, that parlays into what I do now. There's always people behind every storyline that what, what inspires them, what's their background, things of that nature. So that, that, that goes through, whether you're writing a story, whether you're doing video, whether you're doing things on social and so forth that people want to know who the people behind the scenes are or who make things work.
1: Also, Ward, I'm assuming that uh, you needed to beat your dad to the sports section because otherwise it would disappear into the restroom for about 30 minutes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, more than likely,
2: more than likely. So it was, you know, I I grew up in Durham, North Carolina, believe it or not. I grew up in the shadow of Duke, as you, you said, John, but then I saw the light and went to school at Chapel Hill. But basketball in particular was was you know that was the life bread of, of everything that went on there that was the heartbeat you know you know the great universities there and the and the athletic programs that went with them just you know it was a natural attraction for me so that's where that came from yeah
0: so on a on a day-to-day basis for someone like yourself how would you describe a typical day in the life of what you're actually doing as a profession I know it spans through a vast array of things but what is a typical day actually like for you
2: A typical day is uh, well. Right now, I'll give you an example. Right now, you know, the Masters is in two weeks, and I'm the editorial director for Masters Digital, Masters.com. So we're making sure all our storylines are in are in in sync, making sure we got people covering things, making just making sure we got everything covered, and we're we're not there's not going to be any surprises. That's always the biggest thing for people I work with is to make sure there's no surprises, especially when you're dealing with Augusta national, you don't want any surprises there or give them can any surprises. So
1: can you give us a little insight on some of those storylines?
2: Get a sneak peek? Yeah. Yeah, I can. And, and, and two of them may be pertinent for, for people that play golf at your, at your uh, golf courses. Uh, this week, we announced, uh, and you may have seen this is it's publicly available called a taste of the masters um last november since there was nobody at the tournament you could buy your uh shirts hats etc online but there was a a real feature called a taste of the masters which for 150 dollars you can get a pound of pimento cheese a pound of egg salad pound and a half of barbecue i'm gonna get this wrong six bags of potato chips uh 25 commemorative cups and it'll be shipped via fanatics to your front door
1: I think that's great. If I'm walking around having a master's party, I want a master's cup. I want the pimento cheese sandwich. I want the experience.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that that, we did a a huge piece, which isn't up yet about how this interactive experience started with the sandwich in, in the early days, most of the attendees of the masters in the forties came from, you know, within a four hour drive of Augusta. And so Clifford Roberts, the original chairman of the club, figured we got to feed these people when they come and we're going to do it at a you know, pretty cheap rate. So people would actually go in their kitchens in Augusta and mix up pimento cheese or egg salad and make the sandwiches there and bring them out there for people to consume. And Bobby Jones and Cliff Roberts in the early forties wrote this gentleman a letter who was making the sandwich in his kitchen and said, we had great compliments about the tastiness of your sandwich. And we're pleased to know that they only cost 25 cents a piece. Mm-hmm. So you know, and the the pricing, you know, now you said John is a dollar fifty. You can't, you know, you can go out there with ten bucks and you can eat two meals. And you 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 know, the cheap, the most expensive thing is a craft beer, which is five bucks. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. you're you're, you're going to be able to 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 stay uh, nourished out there. I guess you could say.
1: Well, that's a that's a great start for the fan experience. I think you got some other things you're doing with Masters.com as well.
2: We're, we're, we're starting this year a uh, Masters fantasy game. No charge to play. Um, you participate and you pick out of four different silos. Amateurs and first-time players, which generally haven't had the greatest success. Masters champions, U.S. players, and international players. And So everybody picks four players. And you're eligible. For a contest, there'll be daily prizes, which will be hats, chairs, things like that. And there's also a cumulative prize for all four rounds. But, for example, Brown Golf could do a deal where you would do your own league. and You know, you can invite Jordan, you can invite your dad, you can mm-hmm. invite whomever else with, your, with Brown Golf, people playing your golf courses, your staff, and you can have your own competition amongst each other. No prizes with that unless you throw something up. But everybody that plays is eligible for the overall prizes. So,
3: so if-
2: it's going to be done with modified stable for scoring instead of uh, stroke play. So I would suggest you pick people that make a lot of
0: eagles and birdies. So when the Masters tournament is actually taking place, at least maybe not this year, maybe not last year with the pandemic, of course, but in, in recent history or going back to the time that you have spent there, are you actually on the ground during the tournament? And if you are, is, is it everything that we see on TV? I mean, it looks – there's so much pageantry. There's so much hype around it. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's one of the most prestigious, if not the most prestigious tournament in all of golf. Even if you're a casual fan, you know the Masters. From your experience, is it all that people see on TV?
2: I think it's more – Jordan and John's been before, as he alluded to earlier, the, the thing that's even though technology has gotten so tremendous, you really can't display the change of elevation on the grounds. It's from, from race Creek on the 12th green, all the way up to the clubhouse. It's like, a, it's almost like climbing a mountain. The, the elevation change is so drastic. It's really a hard golf course for caddies and players to walk. So therefore, you really don't get a sense for that. You know, it's, it's pristine, but then again, that's the thing that always strikes me is when you go to the 10th T and look at the landing area on the 10th fairway, it's like you're going down a ski slope. It's just unbelievable, the change of elevation on that property. So that, that's the thing that a lot of folks don't get a sense for until they actually attend.
1: I completely agree. That's exactly how I would describe the grounds Uh, And some of the shots on TV, you know, they look sort of like maybe a moderate shot. They are extremely difficult, extremely difficult. And these guys make them look easy a lot of the time. And I also think just the layout of the back nine, I think you would agree, Ward, just it it lends itself to so much excitement with those reachable par fives and, uh, you know, opportunities to make big numbers, low numbers. And we've seen it all there.
2: The setting creates an emotional situation too you know if you if you if you're on 11 12 or 13 on sunday you know most professional golfers are going to be able to want to attack that but all of a sudden they're thinking what did hogan do here what did tiger do here what did nicholas do here and i I think a lot of guys really have to block that out in order to get through that area of the golf course or you know other places too
1: you've met a lot of interesting personalities you actually wrote. A very cool book called *Men on the Bag*: The Caddies of Augusta National. Can you just talk about that book and you know some of the personalities you met, or just any other personalities that you met over the years that have really helped you kind of learn about Augusta and experience the quality of event and just the allure of the event?
2: The caddies at Augusta National, the caddy corps, was there an all-black caddy corps from the inception of the club in 1934. In the first masters until 1982, those are the only guys that could caddy there. And those guys were largely kids from the surrounding neighborhoods who were looking for a way to make a wage. And they would caddy at Augusta country club. If you've seen Augusta national right behind 12 green and 13 T that's Augusta country club, which is an old honor Ross course, which is really good unto itself, but they work there. And then they would quote graduate to Augusta national to work. So these guys learned how to read the greens just by watching people. The the members, I never heard this until the last couple of years, the members would play and the caddies would occasionally take their putters out of their bag and putt on the green while the players would tee off on the next hole so they could learn how to read the greens better. So these guys knew the greens better than anybody. So there were guys like, uh, Cemetery, who caddied for President Eisenhower, Iron Man, who caddied for Arnold Palmer, Willie Peterson, caddied for Jack Nicholas, um, Pappy Stokes, who caddied for Hogan, but during both his master's wins. These guys were experts on the golf course. Pappy was such an expert. His family worked at the nursery there before Augusta National was built. He was born on the grounds when they were building the golf course. He was 12 years old and he was serving as quote, the water boy for the workers. And he watched it rain and he saw how the rain rolled down the hills down into Race Creek. And that's how he learned how to read the greens. He knew the flow of the land and everything like that. So he was really in tune to that. And he's called the godfather of this cat He taught Carl Jackson. He taught Jerry Beard who came for Fuzzy in 79. He taught Iron Man, all these guys how to read greens and how to caddy, how to act properly, things like that.
1: And the dynamic changed there, right? Ward in 19, you alluded to, Uh, the date of 1982-1983. Can you just speak about how the dynamic of Augusta and the Masters changed?
2: Well, the whole caddy ranks were, were changing in the 70s and the early 80s. Up until the early 70s, all four major championships required the local clubs to provide the caddies. You couldn't bring your tour caddy. And the Open Championship, the PGA, and the U.S. Open all changed by the late 70s. Augusta national was the only one left by 1982. The players wanted to bring their own caddies. And then they had an incident where there was a rainstorm one morning and the caddies didn't know when play was going to resume. And so some of the players were left without a caddy for a little bit of time. So that was the final straw. So for 1983, Augusta national opened it up to bring PGA tour caddies in. And so, you know, you had guys like Bruce Edwards, who caddy for Tom Watson. He was able to caddy the masters finally. But you had guys like Carl Jackson who caddied for Ben Crenshaw forever. Ben kept Carl there because Ben and Carl were like brothers. So it 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 changed the dynamic pretty 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 substantially in '83 and on. But you still had the um, expertise of a lot of these guys and their camaraderie amongst each other, which I think even 40 years later is something we got to remember to to realize their contribution. And I'll I'll give you an example. And this is a story we're working on. Um, Charlie Cootie won the masters 50 years ago this year, 1971. Charlie Cootie is in contention on Saturday on the eighth hole, Jack Nicholas and Johnny Miller are also right there with him. They get on the eighth hole. And uh, his caddy's name is Cricket. Cricket asked Charlie Coody in the eighth fairway, What time does TV start on this weekend? And Charlie Coody said, I don't know why you're worried about that. Why are you concerned about when TV starts? He says, Well, uh, Mr. Cootie, uh, you know, I drive a bus in Atlanta. Charlie Coody said, Yeah, I know that. So, well, I told my boss this week that I was going to visit my sick grandmother in Houston. And I didn't really think you were going to play this well. <laughs> and so charlie cootie started laughing and so every day they would get to the 11th hole where tv at that time would start and cricket would take the towel off the golf bag take his hat off put the towel over his head and then put the hat on and think he was in disguise hiding from his boss in atlanta Mm -hmm. and cootie says that was a huge factor when he got to 11 and 12, which are such demanding holes, not worrying about them, not worried about Nichols because he was sitting there laughing with his caddy about what he was wearing. Yeah. So it was a real, you know, caddies, as you as you well know, do more than read greens and give clubs. They also offer some camaraderie. And therefore, it put him at ease and he won the tournament. And that's, that's the biggest tournament he's ever won, you know, 50 years later. It's really a humorous story, but it's also telling about how much he helped him win
1: over the years and your work with masters.com you've got to set up some storylines before you're going into these types of tournaments and i'm sure you've had some really neat ones in the past is there any storyline going into a tournament that really sticks out for you
2: i'll cite some we got going this year you know um and then reflect on that a little bit you know john Rahm's probably one of the favorites as a matter of fact i was going to pick him in my pool but then again last week he announced and everybody knew this is don't bet on him because his wife is due this week, next week, or master's week. So he said that if, if, if she goes into labor that he's, he's bolting out of there and going home to Arizona. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on. Jordan Spieth, Jordan, his first three masters finished second, first and second, and he's back on his game. So he's a guy to look out for. I would think you, you ask about guys to, uh, and storylines before Jordan is buddies with Ben Crenshaw, Crenshaw and Carl Jackson kept a lot of the secrets of how they played Augusta national to themselves forever and ever. But in 2014 and 15, when Jordan started playing, Ben was at the end of his career and he asked Carl Jackson, his caddy to share some of his knowledge with Michael Greller. So they would sit down at the Caddyshack and go through his yardage book and mark down some of the things and discuss it. And they did this over two days. And so Greller really got a lot of insight about the golf course, just from listening to Carl Jackson. And that storyline continues. Bryson DeChambeau is always an interesting story wherever he plays, but particularly there because length is such a huge factor. You know, last year he didn't do real well. You know, we're doing a story this year on the third hole. John, the third hole is 350 yards, shortest hole in the golf course. Yep. Bryson DeChambeau should be able to drive the green. Mm-hmm. Last November, DeChambeau played the hole in four rounds, three over par. One day he hit it so far, left the ball, went into wet ground, and he lost the ball, and he made seven. He drove the green one day, three-putted. But then again, you had Bernhard Langer, who's 63, shortest player in the field. He laid up every day. He played the whole two under. Mm-hmm. So he played the whole five strokes better than Deschambeau, and probably hits it about 100 yards behind him off the tee. So I just yeah. think that, that that's always an interesting storyline to me. It's Length is, is a huge factor. But then again, it's also your mindset that's going to be the determining factor.
0: we'd be remiss not to ask you, were you involved with the Masters? Were you on site during Tiger's run in 1997? And if so, were you aware that a paradigm shift in the industry was coming?
2: Uh, Yes, that was evident before. The, the, The 1997 Masters, as far as ticket or badge access, was really, really intense. You know, the corporate world which may not have had interest in golf before. A lot of those people were really becoming interested in golf, in particular Nike. That was a huge influence in that. Before the tournament, a gentleman I knew in Augusta who was in the ticket brokerage business had made a deal where he was selling his ticket to corporate entities and he got outsold in other words somebody came and spent more and bought it out from him but he'd already taken the money and used the money and unfortunately as a result he committed suicide he was in such debt so the the ticket market in 97 for prior to that tournament was unbelievable even before tiger won. but he brought a lot of people to golf not just on a racial Basis, but people that had no interest in golf before, all of a sudden, they're watching it, and so I—that I, I, was—that was interesting. I, I think D. done a little bit of the similar thing where people are fascinated with how he's approaching the game. So, uh, Tiger '97 and even in 2019 was just
0: unbelievable. So, I wanted to touch on this because your philosophy with marketing and promotion is exactly the same as mine. It's, it's about storytelling. It's about evoking emotion. It's about instilling emotion in something that is informational, both in writing video, whatever the medium is. And do you think, now I don't know how old you are. I'm not going to ask, <laughs> but you, your, your philosophies line up with that of me who I'm, I'm in my thirties. We won't say how far into the thirties, but we're in there. Okay. So do you think golf as an industry and as a business is doing enough to acclimate to the times and meeting potential new golfers where they are today in society?
2: Moving in that direction, my history indicates I I grew up in, in Durham, North Carolina, playing on a public municipal golf course. And that's where I spent my summers. And I think the biggest problem, and I think you've heard this from guys like Cameron champ and Harold Varner on the PGA tour, the biggest issue is access. It's people that haven't been introduced to golf just because they don't live near it, or they, they, they haven't had the opportunity. And I, I think public access for golf—the majority of golf courses are publicly accessed—and therefore that ought to be a focus versus you know the the really exclusive private clubs, because that's where people really get at the grassroots of playing golf. And you know th- there's a there's a public golf course in Augusta, Georgia, and it's called the Augusta Municipal Course. And if you mention that to anybody, they would probably not know the name of, it, but it's affectionately called the Patch. And it's right by the little private airport in in inner city Augusta. And, you know, if you're on the 10th hole, which is a par three, you could literally hit a plane in the side off of it. It's just got such great, great tradition there. But uh, I, I think public golf is something that needs to be funded more readily and also respected more so because that's where the masses play.
0: First of all, we love hearing all these stories and the great insight that you have. We could talk to you all day about that. But one thing <laughs> we wanted to touch on before we ride off into the sunset, uh, Loopers, the Caddy's Long Walk. Now, I was reading a little bit about that. Did that start as a publication and then translate into a film? Or what is the story? What's going on? What's in the works right now with, with that project? In
2: 2015, I got a cold call on my home phone. And my wife listened to it and she's and and somebody was interested in doing a film about the Caddy book I'd done. I'd had those before, but she said, she was really smart. She said, why don't you Google this guy? I think you might need to call this guy back. And it was a guy named Jim Packer and Jim is the executive vice president of international distribution for Lionsgate. So I figured that was fairly, pretty reputable. So therefore, to call him back, he's a big golfer who had a longtime caddy at Bel Air Country Club in L.A., and he said, "There's a side project we want to do based upon caddies." And I was stuck until I read your book. Somebody passed your book along to me, and we want to pursue this. So for four, for three, four years, went to Bandon, went to Augusta, went to Pebble Beach, did the Evan Scholars, went to Ireland and Scotland. And told the story of how caddies came to be in the U.K., how they came to the United States, and how they become a really respected uh, profession. And Bill Murray grew up with his brothers in the Chicago area, and and as Bill said, their father made them caddy because they didn't have cows to milk. So that was that was how they worked and how they got, you know, uh, how they earned their opportunity to go to private. Catholic school. And then, uh, Ed Murray, who unfortunately died, um, late 2020, the oldest Murray brother, he got the Evans scholarship to go to Northwestern. The oldest brother, Ed Murray was the, uh, was the example for Danny Noonan and Caddyshack. Danny Noonan came from Ed Murray because Ed Murray worked at the club there and, uh, saw all the, crazy people caddying there and some of the antics that went on. So Brian Doyle and Ed Murray wrote Caddyshack and got their brother Bill to participate in. So Bill did the narration and that was, that's a story unto itself. Bill, uh, is known as somebody who is difficult to get in touch with. Bill does not have an agent. Bill has an attorney and an 800 number. So if you want Bill to do a film, you, uh, you Call his attorney, or you go the eight hundred number. Well, he agreed to do it, and um, he did the the narration in Charleston, South Carolina, which is where he lives a lot of the year. Um, took him three four hours to do the narration because he wanted to take some of the narration and put his own lines in there, and that didn't work. The film's almost done, so they finally got that figured out. And the greatest story ever about doing the narration was they got done and bill asked the crew three guys who were doing the narration with him we were from la he asked him he said what are you guys doing now and i said well we're, you know we're gonna pack up and get something to eat and go back to la tomorrow He said well come with me and so they the guys went and jumped in his convertible mustang with his dog and he drove them around charleston downtown charleston and showed them around for 30 minutes. And all of a sudden they got to a stoplight in downtown Charleston and Bill clammed up and said, hey guys, I gotta be somewhere in 15 minutes. And he went to the next street corner and dropped them off. And they had to Uber back to the hotel. <laughs> so that's the Bill Murray narration story. But I think you'll find if you watch the film, Bill usually breaks into character, but in this one he's pretty genuine because I think cadding was a
0: real influencer for him in his career is now, you know you said the film is almost is it almost complete is there some place that we could watch it can you order sure. it sure
2: it, it came out in 2019 showed at over 100 theaters in the in the, uh, in the country showed on golf channel a number of times showed showed in the uk and europe if you if you go to loopersmovie.com com, and it, it can tell you how you can stream it
1: that's this has been great word i mean all the information- absolutely thank you for coming on oh you're welcome you're
2: welcome
0: welcome back to the Golf exposed podcast excellent few minutes there with ward clayton what a incredible array of experience he has Probably no one who's really seen it from that perspective for as long as Ward has. And it was really cool to pick his brain and kind of live vicariously through him as we approach uh, as we approach the tournament here. So one thing that we love to do here is we're going to try to win some money for our listeners. And uh, you and Bryce are going to go at it one last time in season one. Thank you once again to Mr. Ward Clayton. We'll be right back with Golf Exposed betting with John and Bryce. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Exposed podcast. All good things must come to an end, and at least for Season 1, we are going to close the final curtain after this tremendous special edition episode. John, Bryce, welcome back to the season finale of Season 1. It's been great so far. We're going to go out with a bang, as they say.
1: Well, I think uh, we'll do a quick recap of the world match play. We actually It was probably our best collective event. Bryce and I each had one player get through. We each picked three players out of different groups. We each had one player get through. Uh, I had Bubba Watson, and he he did pretty well. Bryce, who did you have? Dylan Fratelli. Dylan Fratelli. So we had long odd guys uh, get through the match play group portion and then uh, didn't do fair so well after that. But overall, I think uh, I'm going to take the win in season one unless Bryce can pull a rabbit out of the hat here for our special Masters edition.
0: And Bryce, welcome back to the program. How do you feel about the Masters overall in broad strokes? And how do you feel about not only your performance in season one, but coming down to the wire here with with old JB?
3: Yeah, so the Masters, uh, it's my favorite tournament of the year. I mean, I think it's the most exciting tournament of the year. Just everything that that goes into it and the golf course. And um, I think any golf fan uh, loves the Masters. As far as the season goes, I think I've stunk. But uh, no, I just haven't been able to pick a winner. I've had a lot of guys finish in the top 10, uh, haven't gotten through the winner's circle. So I got one week left and I think this is the week.
0: The first step to recovery uh, is acceptance and admittance. And Bryce is taking the proper steps to take corrective action here, at least.
1: Yeah, Bryce is like a swimmer in the Olympics who finishes fourth and nobody knows who he is.
0: Of course, Bryce, having gone to college with several Olympic swimmers, he might actually know who they are. Um, but we are on to the Masters, and this is obviously the tournament of the year. Even the casual golf fan knows the Masters. We all have wonderful memories of 2000 Tiger, 97 Tiger, They're, and the list goes on. So, John, you are in the lead. You hold the key to victory. All you have to do is maintain the status quo or go above and beyond. It's yours to lose who do you like in the masters who are you going to lead off with
1: all right great let's get into it i am going to lead off with an english golfer a gentleman who's played very well this year i'm getting him at plus 4100 10 bet pays 410 dollars. my first selection is matthew fitzpatrick actually first time i ever saw matthew fitzpatrick in person was on the sixth tee box at the masters he was about a foot from me i said who's this little guy and then he walked up and hit a shot on the par three. So um, that was years ago. But he's, uh, he's been playing great. I love his swing. It feels like he's due to break through in a big-time event. I think this is it, Matthew Fitzpatrick.
0: Well, Bryce, you're throwing your arms up in disgust. I don't know if that's – if John snaked your pick or you're just tired of John's antics. But what drew such a harsh reaction?
3: He totally snaked my pick. Um, I have him written down here top of my list i love fitzpatrick this week i think there's great value there john are we doing like a double down or, or how think, do you want to handle this i think we need to
1: i think we need to double down
3: what do we say if we both pick the same golfer we're gonna put 50 bucks on that
1: golfer right i think we did say that yeah done double down matthew fitzpatrick get your money on matthew everybody you want to go with pick two bryce since i stole your thunder
3: yeah i'll, I'll lead off with pick two Um, I'm going with another golfer who's actually plus 4,100. He's playing really well right now. A young guy, Scotty Scheffler. I think he's up near the lead as we speak in San Antonio, but uh, ranked number 22 in the official world golf ranking. Um, He finished T19 at the Masters just last November. It was his first trip to Augusta National. He's had two top tens in his last three weeks. He's obviously playing really well, finished runner-up last week at the uh, match play. Um, He's a guy who was up around the lead PGA late last year. I think he finished fourth, and he finished second in the Tour Championship. So he's knocking on the door in some big tournaments, and I think he could get it done this week. Scotty Shuffler plus 4,100.
0: John, Bryce needs to do something drastic to win. He's already got one of the same players that you have, and now he's taking Scheffler. Is that a winning attitude and a winning mentality coming down to the final episode of the season?
1: Well, I actually care about winning so much. I'm just going to pick all the same players. Oh! (laughs) Just kidding. Scotty just missed my list, to be honest. I do like his value, though, and I was looking at him. Uh, you know, I was kind of surprised not to see him pull out that match play. I thought he was going to be able to do it. Those guys didn't really play the great, that great on the last day there, but seven rounds of golf in five days is a lot for anybody. So, uh, But I do think Scotty has got the talent to bring home a big tournament like that, so I like the pick. So with my second pick, I'm actually going to go with one of Bryce's favorites all year long. And you know who we're talking about, Sunjay M. Sunjay M., player who's played great all year seems to hang out in the 10th to 20th position you know every single time he plays golf very consistent bryce has been on sunjay all year for his first win he hasn't gotten it yet i'm getting him at plus plus thirty seven hundred. so a 10 dollar bet pays 370 dollars. i'm going sunjay in with pick number two bryce
3: jordan i think i should be able to object to that pick Because all year, I've I've loved Sungjae all year, and all John has done is point and laugh in my face as Sungjae just racks up top 10 after top 10 but can't win. And now we're on the biggest stage, the Masters, and I mean, I just don't think that's fair.
0: Were you looking to add him to your lineup or you just don't like the fact that John did?
3: No, I'm just joking. I think, you know. I was hoping a prop I, I, that would come
0: out of this or some, some
3: sort of exchange. <laughs> no, I love Sung I think it's a good pick. Um, it would, it would absolutely k- kill me if he won this week and John got the credit for it and I didn't, but um, I think it's a good pick. So and what, you I'll, shared I'll bunk beds
0: with him at summer camp or something once? <laughs>
3: <laughs> he took me out for a Korean barbecue. That's it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So pick
1: three. You want to go first, Bryce? Or you want me to
3: go first for pick three? Yep. Um, pick number three. Uh, I'm going up toward the top, toward the toward the, the top of the list with the favorites here. Plus twelve hundred. I'm going to take Jordan Spieth, um, a guy who had a bit of a slump there in the last year and a half or so, but has been playing better as That's of late. Uh, he has four top tens this season. I like Jordan. He obviously loves Augusta national. Um, I think he's been, you know, hitting the ball much better with his irons and his short game and his putting is always, you know, one of the best on tour. So I think Jordan plays well at Augusta and even though the odds aren't great at plus 1200, I think he could get the job done.
1: Yeah. The odds, the, the 12 to one odds. I mean, they're, they're just, it's just not very good odds for a guy who has been playing well, obviously he's got three majors Uh, but he hasn't closed one out a tournament this year and uh you know at plus 1200 i mean those odds are just they're 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 not strong enough for me
3: i just think that if you're gonna look at the top of the board jordan might be the pick this week Hmm.
1: well i am gonna go in a different direction uh as far as my third pick i'm going with another english player a gentleman who's 29 years old he's won 10 times worldwide he's got tremendous talent I'm going with Terrell Hatton at plus $3,300. A $10 bet pays you $330. It feels like Terrell is about to break through on the global scene. Everybody who knows golf knows he's one of the most talented players out there. But kind of in that second level, it might be time for him to jump up to the first level. What do you think, Bryce?
3: Yeah, I like to pick. I think there's value there. He's a fiery player. I don't know if he'll be able to keep it in check for four rounds uh, around Augusta National, but I guess we'll see.
1: Ranked eighth in the world, you know, uh, just a player that, you know, is getting some pretty good odds for being ranked eighth in the world. Uh, I went no Americans this week, which, you know, I don't love doing, but uh, I'm doing it because I just feel like there was value in the three players I picked.
0: Well, you guys, it's as sound of strategy as any. I want to thank you guys for your insight and your picks this year, good, bad, or otherwise. But before we sign off and ride off into the sunset, we will be changing the format just a little bit in season two with coming up with, uh, with things to bet on and odds and things of that nature. But I also wanted to ask you both, what's something that when you think of the Masters, what is the first thing that you think of, John?
1: I think of sitting on the corner of the 13th hole about 200 yards out, and watching the best players in the world make that turn and hitting their second shots either in the creek or on the green. And I think I watched about, this is probably 2015, I probably watched about five to six Eagles just sitting there and the energy, the feeling, the colors of the flowers, uh, the way the grass looked. It was just, it was a great day. I spent about six hours in the same seat I got up every 30 minutes to get a beer, basically, and, and uh, it's just a great environment. Very electric back nine with tons of possibilities with those par fives and uh, scenery. I think about scenery.
0: That's about 12 beers, Bryce, if you're crunching numbers. Yeah, um, I know.
1: Well, one, one, How many bathroom one stops? Hour, right? <laughs> we, we had a bus back. We didn't have to get in the car, so... <laughs>
0: Bryce, how about yourself? You're so familiar with so many golf courses throughout uh, our illustrious nation and beyond. What do you think of when you think of the Masters? What's the first thing that comes to mind?
3: Well, if if you haven't been, it's, it's you know, words really can't do it justice what it's like to to attend the tournament and to be on the grounds. But for me, I just think of, you know, I think I was a senior in high school. I think of Tiger's chip on 16, watching that on TV, you know, just the ball, rolling up the hill, coming down, trickling in the hole. Really, I think that's the first thing I think about.
0: Well, John, Bryce, we'd like to thank you for an awesome season one. Only great things to come in season two and beyond. And we'd like to thank Mr. Ward Clayton for regaling us today with so many great stories and insight from the Masters on the grounds at Augusta. We can't wait for it. And we'd like to most importantly thank all of you for supporting us all throughout season one, subscribing on Podbean, on GolfExposed.podbean.com, of course, on all major platforms on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a vast array of others. For more insight or more information on anything we talked about this year, visit our platforms at browngolfmanagement.com and golfbacksolutions.com. For President and CEO John Matthew Brown, my name is Jordan Michael Coulson. Thank you, and we'll see you on Season 2.